3: now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
4: WBBM Newstime 1203. It's great to have you joining us for the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Kodo. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Apple's big event, a new iPhone is expected to be revealed and credit card grace periods how to take advantage of them. Also, Social Security recipients about to get the biggest raise since 1982. Right now, July proved to be a big month for job openings. We're joined by Paul christopher head of global market strategy at wells fargo investment institute based in st louis uh, paul uh, before we get some insight into what's going on can of give us the nuts and bolts here of this report
5: yeah so what you're seeing is the, is the continuation of a trend cisco uh, where companies continue to post jobs but workers have been a little bit more than reluctant to come out and apply for those jobs. And that's a that's a trend we see developing further in the weeks and months ahead.
4: And with these openings, I mean, nearly 11 million, this means employers really do want employees. Are, are they able to find them? I mean, why aren't more of these jobs being filled?
5: Yeah, there's several reasons for that. Uh, one is that you've got COVID. Uh, and if you look at the employment report that the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out just last week for the month of August, You'll see that it was a disappointing report, only 235,000 net jobs filled. reason for that is that you've got COVID out there. Uh, and so leisure and hospitality industries, think movie theaters, restaurants, concerts, all of these places where people go and congregate, they are definitely not attracting folks, customers these days. Uh, and as a result, you're seeing um, many, many fewer jobs being filled. Another feature in August was that you had federal unemployment benefits, which were very generous and have been. Those roll off at, with Labor Day here. So we should start to see more people come to apply for work as those federal benefits uh, start to expire. So uh, some things still working in the, in the, on the economy that keep that gap between jobs open and jobs applied for
4: Yeah, you know, good to hear you talk about where the jobs are because i know every morning on my way to work major traffic and you see that all around the chicago area expressways and yet we keep hearing about employers needing employees so it's it's not that all employers are, are kind of struggling here it's only certain employers in certain sectors that are struggling to find workers
5: especially in the leisure and hospitality industries that i just mentioned also in construction Where another problem in the economy, and everybody's seen this if you've gone shopping for lumber or for a used car, is that there are just a lot of shortages out there of materials, and that makes it harder to build, and so you don't need to have as many construction workers.
4: So going forward, what are employers having to do? I mean, is it paying more money, other benefits, letting more people work from home? What are they doing to attract people and get some of these jobs filled?
5: Yeah, all of the above, Uh, but I'm afraid some places, like some of your maybe favorite local restaurants, may actually close. We're seeing some of that here in St. Louis. They're closing because they can't find the employees. What will happen eventually is that the COVID will die down a little bit more. People come back out and feel comfortable working in a place like a restaurant. Those federal unemployment benefits that have run out now, you're going to see an end to the moratorium on rent uh, uh, payments. Uh, and so as people need to make payments and they, and they are losing their federal benefits, they're going to need income from someplace. You're going to see more and more people applying for those jobs. That's how this ultimately resolves but it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be this year.
4: Yeah, little by little. Thanks so much. That's Paul Christopher, head of Global Market Strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Just ahead, a look to next year's cost of living increase for Social Security, higher than it has been in years. The Social Security cost of living adjustment, known as COLA, likely to go up next year by the largest percentage since the early 1980s. Let's take a closer look at what's behind the hike. Mark Holbert is here, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Bear and MarketWatch.com. Uh, Mark, so uh, a pretty significant increase, at least historically.
6: That's right. In fact, uh, we don't know exactly the percentage increase because it's based on inflation over the twelve-month trailing 12-month 12 period through the third quarter, which we won't know until early October. But early projections are that we'll get a cost of living adjustment of around 5 or 6%. And if that turns out to be correct, and all signs suggest it will, That'll be the highest since I believe 1982. So clearly, 40 years, it's been uh, it's been smaller than that. Now, the reason that it's worth focusing on is that a lot of people will uh, will make the mistake of thinking this is good news, in the sense that uh, now they'll have more money to spend. But in fact, our cost of living adjustment, as we all know, simply is compensation for the inflation that has occurred over the previous year. So, in inflation-adjusted terms were no better or worse off. So even though it looks better than last year's COLA, which was only 1.2%, I think, uh, it actually were no better or worse off.
4: Yeah, as you talk about inflation, it, it means you need this much more money to continue buying the things that you currently buy, right, for this amount of money?
6: Well, that's right. Now, of course, one can have a, de- a debate. There are many people who debate this of whether the inflation adjustment factor that Social Security Administration uses, whether it's an adequate one or not, And it turns out that uh, in a column I wrote about this recently, the differences between all the leading candidates for different ways of adjusting for inflation are so small, relatively insignificant. I I show that it actually makes less than about a dollar or even less than, clearly less than $5 per month for the average Social Security recipient. I don't want to sneeze at that, but we're not talking uh, huge amounts of money. There are far bigger things that probably will affect your retirement than the, the amount of the COLA.
4: So, for Social Security, uh, you know, people thinking about this in the future, they may hear big increase and think, "Oh, may- maybe Social Security is not so bad." It's still only a part of your retirement portfolio.
6: Well, that's right, and I think the, the, another broader lesson here is we should always be focusing on inflation-adjusted terms. That when you focus on the nominal, the unadjusted terms, uh, that turns out that economists call that inflation illusion or money illusion. We look at the actual number of dollars and think we have more money. So with everything, especially with retirement, we need to focus on the inflation adjusted numbers.
4: So yeah, the inflation adjusted numbers are what really matter. Uh, Going forward, I mean, one of the things people wondering about is Social Security going to run out of money? When they start hearing about the payments being bigger, they start wondering even more about that.
6: Well, that's right. In the latest projections, Social Security's actuaries just came out with their annual report um, and say that uh, that given the current legal structure, in other words, all the funding that comes into Social Security comes through Congress, of course, using the current legislation and the rules in place, Social Security will run out of money in 2034, or give or take a year or two. And that, that's alarming. But we have to remember we've had that year in our sights for many decades. In fact, last time Social Security made a change to its financing mechanism was 1983 – They projected that the money would run out in 2034. So they're being remarkably accurate. And that just means we have about 12 or 13 years for Congress to get its act together and make some changes.
4: Thanks so much, Mark Hulbert. Good insight. He's an investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Just ahead, maximizing the grace period given by your credit card provider. Later in the show, 1249, what we're getting out of Apple's
3: new event. It looks like maybe a new iPhone. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour grace
4: period that comes with your credit card can be used as a cash flow tool. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. Ted, first off, help us to understand what this grace period is with credit cards.
7: Yeah. Hey Cisco. So it's basically the amount of time that you have between when the statement closes and when the bill is due. And as long as you've paid your previous statement in full, you could actually get up to a couple of months if you time this properly. So let me explain. Like, let's say my statement just came out yesterday, September 7th. That bill's probably going to be due right around October 4th. Well, if I make a charge today, that's not even going to show up until the next bill, which I'll get around October 7th, and it won't even be due until November 4th or so. So again, this really applies only if you're paying your bills in full, because if you have credit card debt, interest is accruing all the time but if you pay in full and you time it right that's a couple of months without interest
4: so how do you balance this well without getting yourself into trouble you mentioned paying it off every month you really have to do that
7: You've got to start with that, paying your bills in full every month, and then also avoiding overspending, of course. Really what I'm talking about is money that you would have spent anyway. So it is actually a way to strategically time, let's say, an upcoming travel purchase or some new furniture or home improvements or whatever the case may be. You can time that right. If it's money you would have spent anyway and you pay it off in full, it buys you some time. You can get the rewards. It can be a good tactic
4: so when it comes to uh you know any sort of rewards uh doesn't matter right this is just about taking advantage of some free money for a while
7: it's really about free money yeah and of course there are credit cards specifically marketed for this purpose like a zero percent introductory apr card or a zero percent balance transfer card those offers last as long as 20 months those are usually for new customers. So what we're talking about here is a little bit of creative accounting for a card you already have. Another related tip is you can usually ask the company to switch your due date. You can't do it every month, of course, but you know, once a year or maybe a few times a year. This can actually be a nice tactic, again, to buy you more time if you need it. Or just to align things better, like maybe you want to spread out your bills throughout the month, so assign different due dates to each one, or maybe you want to time them around payday so that you make sure that you have funds in the account. That's another lever you could pull.
4: And uh, and anything you need to understand about your particular credit card? I'm thinking terms and conditions that could get you into trouble if you don't understand it.
7: It's definitely a good reminder that credit card interest rates are quite high. The average is over 16%. About half of cardholders pay in full every month, therefore rendering the interest rate moot. You know, as long as you pay in full, your personal rate is 0%. But if you are carrying a balance, it's really important to know what your rate is, to be making progress. Maybe that's a 0% balance transfer card. Maybe it's taking on a side hustle or cutting your expenses or selling some stuff you don't need. I think really the key here is making your personal rate as low as possible, because credit card rates are so high relative to other forms of debt.
4: Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com. Still ahead, Personal Finance Wednesday, helping new college students set themselves up for financial success.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
1: to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
3: this is Chicago's all news station news radio 780 and 105.9 fm the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
4: Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Coto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A gun scare at a high school in Northwest Indiana ends with no shots fired. A huge statue of Robert E. Lee is no longer on public display in Virginia. On the Business Hour, Personal Finance Wednesday, using college as a time to help set up young people for financial stability. Apple is expected to reveal its latest iPhone upgrades during a virtual event next week. We'll get a preview. Wall Street, the Dow down 86. NASDAQ is down 92. And the S&P is down nine points. Oil is up right about 1%. Sunshine, clear skies. Right now, 76 degrees. We may get a few degrees warmer before the afternoon is done. School administrators say no shots were fired in northwest Indiana after the building was put on lockdown after a report of a person with a gun. St. John Police Department spokesman Roger Patz tells the Northwest Indiana Times... Officers conducted a room-by-room search at Lake Central High School this morning. A SWAT team and other law enforcement responded to the school. The district posted on Twitter, Two students have been taken in for questioning, but everyone is safe. One of the biggest Confederate monuments in the U.S. has been taken down. For more than a century, a 21-foot statue of General Robert E. Lee towered over Virginia's capital city, which also served as the Confederacy's capital. This morning, a crowd of hundreds cheered as workers in Richmond removed the statue from its giant pedestal. Governor Ralph Northam ordered last summer that the statue come down after George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, but the removal was tied up in courts until a recent ruling cleared the way. Four other Confederate statues along what's known as Monument Avenue were removed last year. Sagar, Magani, Washington.
3: It's 1232. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The
4: Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red today. The Dow down 86, NASDAQ down 93, and the S&P down 9 points. Let's see what's going on. Michael Palumbo is here, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk. Michael, good to have you on the show as always. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today?
8: Good afternoon, Cisco, and thanks again for having me on. You know, it's just a small sell-off uh, in the grand scheme of things. If you look at the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, they're both within 1% of their all-time high. So a little sell-off here really is, is, is not a, a meaningful event. Uh, Russell 2000, which is small cap index, is down about four or five percent off its all time highs. Again, though, nothing to to look at here. I think the bigger story maybe is crypto, where, where we've had a, about a ten percent sell off over the last couple of days in Bitcoin and higher in some of these altcoins. But again, these are these are names that have had great run ups. Even Bitcoin, it's up fifty percent for the year. So. A sell-off of this magnitude, 10%, 12%, it's, it, it could be just profit-taking, to be honest with you. And, and uh, it, it's nothing to worry about right now. But it, certainly that's the news for today is, is, is the moves in some of these risk assets down.
4: And what then is the advice to investors about some of those assets? I mean, do you stay out of them or do you only go into them if you can stomach the ups and downs?
8: Well, I think what you just said is perfect. Uh, you, you don't go in these assets if you if you are not a risk uh, taking person because they're going to be very volatile. Uh, Bitcoin has been incredibly volatile in its move, but it has gone pretty much up. You know, in the last 12 years since it's since the white paper from Satoshi, actually 13 years ago. I mean, it's gone from a penny to 50,000 bucks. So you know, if you can stomach it. I think that, bit, that Bitcoin and crypto in general is an asset class that is investable, but you have to have a time horizon of, of more than a few months. If you're just trying to play it, paper trade it, and, and or not paper trade but, but you know, just uh, day trade it, I think you're asking for trouble because uh, that's very difficult to do. Uh, if you're an investor, I think it's definitely an area that you should have some of your money. And when I say some, I'm talking about zero to 20%, no more than that, because there's other things out there that I think are more attractive with less risk, like equities, like bonds. And I think you should have some money in cash because there's going to be a drawdown at some point. The market is very high right now. Um, When the drawdown comes, you have to have some cash to be able to buy up some cheap cheap equities and, and other assets. So stay diversified. Um, But there's nothing wrong with playing crypto. I just think you have to do it in a long-term perspective and not just trying to make a quick penny.
4: Talk to the person who hears you say, keep some cash on the sidelines. There will be a dip. You know, you you can use that money then to make money. But if they don't see the dip come in the next few weeks or even the next few months, they start getting antsy as though that cash is, is, is somehow wasted by sitting over there on the sidelines.
8: If you, and as a trader, I've traded for 30 years plus, Cisco, so, you know, you're always making decisions with uncertainty, and and if you make enough decisions, you're going to make enough mistakes, right? So, I've made thousands of mistakes in my trading career. But you don't beat yourself up over that. So I'm telling people to do what I think is the best strategy, and that is to have some cash right now. If we just keep trickling up and we never have this sell-off, well, then you're long assets and you're doing fine anyway. Okay, So you kind of want that to happen anyway. But but you should have cash on the sidelines in case that it doesn't happen because no one can predict when the next – sell-off is going to happen. A lot of times it happens over events that are not even predictable, like let's say yields start ticking up. If yields tick up to say 1.75%, you're going to see a sell-off in, in, in risk assets. And then you, you'll have a, a chance to take that cash and put it to work. If you don't have any cash and we have a sell-off, you just have to sit there and hope the market goes back up. That's not a position you want to be in. So that's why I say you have to have some cash. And if, if you're wrong and the, and the market just keeps going up, you're winning to that, so you should be happy.
4: So I want to ask you, this is sort of a side note, though. So you, you talk about the fact that, you know, you, you've had some good things. You've had some mistakes over the years. But when you're sitting around talking with your friends, do you talk about the winners that you've had, or do you talk about the losers? Which one really stick with yeah. you more?
8: It depends on the day, you know, but it depends on the topic. But I think the <laughs> things that stick... To you, the most is when you learn something so when you learn something it's generally when you make a mistake so in my trading career I, I could tell you the things that I did well uh, but you know you know um, that's not where you're learning so I definitely talk about the things I've done wrong and the things that have made me a better trader. And those are the things that stick with you. And I think that the best traders in the world that would say the same thing, uh, that you always want to remember the the mistakes you made, and you you better learn from them. Um, Fool you once, it's fine, but fool you more than once, shame on you. And and that's what trading is all about. So, you know, you make mistakes. If you take take risk, you're going to make mistakes. If you make mistakes, learn from them.
4: Thanks so much, Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. Up next, Personal Finance Wednesday using college as a time to build a foundation for financial stability. Later in the show, a preview of Apple's big unveil. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM
3: Noon Business Hour continues.
4: It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. This afternoon, we're putting the focus on college students, helping them use the time in school to get on the road to financial success. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line. Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management. His website, fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, so you're talking to college students and their parents. What's the first, maybe most important piece of advice to get them so that they're handling money well and they get started financially well?
0: Yeah, so uh, never uh, never too early to get started with good habits. And, and so college... Uh, immediately, always oh, the, the topic of tuition comes up, and and student loans, and so uh, we are big fans of. Before you sign up for a a student loan that's going to follow you the rest of your life, go back to that college or university and see if they can't shave a few dollars off of your off of your tuition. So the idea of negotiating college tuition is something we think uh, far too few people are aware you can you can actually make that make that happen so uh debt also uh, beyond beyond college it 's important to get started with a with a good with good credit history and so you know, when I was in college thirty years ago, there were all sorts of credit card offers waiting for us at the bookstore i don 't even know if those concepts apply today, but getting getting uh, started with the uh, with a credit card, learning how to use it responsibly, recognizing that you do have to pay that, you do have to pay that back is a, is a great way uh, to get yourself set up for, uh, for later in life. And then, you know, thinking about the other side of the balance sheet. So not just liabilities, but assets, getting started savings. And so uh, I'd be a big fan of trying to split savings between a checking or a savings account that you might use for uh, for fun use or, or immediate needs, but then also thinking about maybe getting a Roth IRA started. So if somebody's started working, uh, either in school or during the during the summer, they might have the ability to start putting money away and hiding that from Uncle Sam. Legally, and so big fans of big fans of Roth IRAs.
4: And when it comes to the the student loans, I mean, everyone talks about the debt, and that's obviously an issue. Uh, however, I I know some people who uh, they're college students now, and every semester they get a check because the student loans covered more than what they actually
0: needed. Right. So, so right. So sometimes that gets re- that gets uh, referred to sometimes as a student loan refund. It's not really a refund. Uh, that's money that's coming. You describe it perfectly. It's it's extra money that's available uh, when you take out a when you take out a loan. Best thing to do with that would be uh, to send it back uh, to reduce your reduce your loan balance. If you absolutely absolutely need it to support your living your living expenses, which is a reality for for a lot of students. Uh, just remember that that is money that has to be paid back. So I'd say think about spending it, spending it wisely. And then also, schools a lot. Uh, there's a lot more to school and life than money. So for those students that are college students that are maybe moving off campus and living in apartments, a great idea to, is to get used to doing your own grocery shopping and learning to cook. Now, that's got a financial element to it and and spending your money wisely, but what a fantastic way to improve your dating life to be be able to prepare a home-cooked meal for your date.
4: Yeah, right, exactly. Thanks so much. Good advice, Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management. That's Personal Finance Wednesday. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. Still to come today, fans of the Apple
3: iPhone should get a treat next week. We'll have a preview. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
4: Apple has scheduled an event for next week. It is expected to include the unveiling of new iPhones We welcome Ina Fried, Chief Technology Correspondent for the news site Axios.com, based in San Francisco. Uh, Ina, so new iPhones, do we expect significant redesigns, maybe just little tweaks? What are you hearing?
9: Well, you know, Cisco, I mean, Apple tends to do this at a pretty predictable rate. One year they have a bigger update. This year they have a more modest update. That's what I would expect this year is the more modest. uh, That's what we're due for. That's what all the rumors suggest. Um, But that doesn't mean there aren't interesting things. And in particular, what I told readers to look out for is, you know, look to the margins, look to the new test feature. What is that thing that they do that's a little different in software maybe? And besides that, I'd expect, you know, certainly the usual improvements in processing speed, camera, and hopefully battery life.
4: And are those things that that customers really end up noticing? I, I think sometimes with desktops and laptops, increased speed maybe isn't as noticeable. But do they notice it with phones?
9: You know, I think you do. I think you notice the camera. We all use our phones as our camera. So they and it's something that improves every year. So that's sort of the gimme that they kind of get for free. They get a little better performance for free because chips get better each year. Um the area that I think people most notice is battery life, but it's one of the hardest to fix because while other things kind of double every couple of years, battery life only improves about ten percent a year. So you either have to put a bigger battery in, which makes your phone bigger, or you get only very modest improvement.
4: And when it comes to whether or not people should actually go for it, does it depend on whether they want the modest improvements? You know, should they wait around for the big revamp?
9: You know, I'm always hesitant to tell people to wait because, you know, yes, there'll be a better phone next year. But that's true every year. I would say. Is your old phone, is the battery life getting worse? That's really a good time to upgrade. You know, these batteries only really last a couple of years, so that's not a bad time to upgrade. You know, are you ready for a new phone? Then, yeah, then it's probably an okay time. Um, Certainly, you know, there's not going to be a better iPhone between this year and next year's iPhone. So if you want a better iPhone, sure, go for it. And if your phone's working great, then, yeah, you probably don't need to upgrade.
4: And does it depend on how old that phone is, too, even if it's working well? Uh, you know, when Apple uh, updates the iOS, uh, sometimes you get to a point where your phone's old enough, it just doesn't work right with the new software.
9: Yeah, I mean, Apple's software upgrades usually go back several years. It is true that they the newest features tend not to work as well on the older phones. Usually I find it's really the battery life of your old phone, at least for me, that kind of dictates whether I get a new phone. But certainly if there's features out there that the new iPhone support and yours doesn't, that's another good reason.
4: I'm finding my iPhone 5 just doesn't quite work the way it used to. I don't know what the problem is here. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Yeah,
9: it could
4: be an issue. Are we we seeing, we keep hearing about uh, uh, computer chip shortages impacting automakers and other things, and yet Apple, well, Apple seems to be able to produce whatever it needs here. Is that what you're finding?
9: I mean, Apple is known for negotiating the supply of components it needs years in advance. They'll even prepay for it. So I would expect Apple to fare better than most. It doesn't mean they'll be totally invincible to the chip shortage, but I would expect them to be able to ship the usual number of phones. I think uh, some of the products, the watches I've been hearing, or there have been reports that there's production problems. Um, But again, it's not so much the chip shortage. They usually uh, do a pretty good job of making sure they have the parts they need.
4: Thanks for all the details. Ina Fried, Chief Technology Correspondent for the news site Axios.com. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, the replay podcast will be available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.